0: Welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and uh, it's always good to have you with me. Now, today, uh, you can have a listen to us on iTunes. You can download this on iTunes. You can do it from the website, www.socialworldpodcast.com. And as always, remember that SpeakPipe uh, facility that's on the website there that you can leave a direct message or suggestions about either future work, future, future guests, or feedback on the guests on the programme. Now, today, I'm joined by Justin Humphreys. Now, Justin is the Executive Director for Safeguarding for the Church's Child Protection Advisory Service. And I'm not sure if a lot of people realise just how much work that this organisation does and just how well-networked they are within the kind of Christian safeguarding community. They're a charity and, uh, well, let's find out about it. Justin, welcome to the programme.
1: Thanks very much, Dave.
0: Now, just explain, could you just a little bit, we're going to call it CCPAS, right, the Char- the Church's Child Protection Advisory Service, but um, just a little bit for people that might not be aware of what you do. Could you just sort of take us through it for a minute?
1: Sure, of course. Well, we will be next year, that's uh, 2017, celebrating our 40th anniversary, so um, established in, uh, in 1977, primarily at that point as a provider of residential care for uh, children and young people, those with um, disabilities um, more than any other. Um, but, you know, as time has progressed, we, we've evolved um, and sort of in the mid 80s, we moved into the world of what was then commonly described as child protection, um, and through to what we do today, which is uh, to provide a, a, a comprehensive service for um, members uh, and for others who, who may need assistance with a range of safeguarding matters. So, in broad terms, uh, our service delivery is divided into a number of key areas. So, we are one of the largest DBS umbrella bodies in the country. Sorry, could
0: you just say what? Well, uh, are uh, the DBS checks. Other yes,
1: DBS the... disclosure and yes, bar. Yes. Yeah. So for those that are familiar with that, yeah. Um, so we processed in excess of fifty-five thousand checks last year. So that kind of puts us in in sort of the top running for that. We also provide uh, a wide range of training for churches, uh, charities faith-based groups, those of no faith, uh, whoever in fact wants to, to make use of those. And um, So training hundreds of people every week uh, in a range of things. Um, we also have a 24-hour helpline that's open and available to anybody to call um, in relation to safeguarding matters. Um, and then the last thing that we do in terms of our service delivery is that we have um, what we call specialist services, which essentially is, is a consultancy service to take on more, or complex um, safeguarding matters, so things like risk assessment, audit, review, review, managed investigation, complaints, that sort of thing. So we're providing a a broader and broader range of um, services all the time. Although we're focused primarily at the Christian community, we don't work exclusively there. Our our connections um, across the Christian community Um, but also uh, with secular agencies, if we can call them that, statutory agencies, police forces, mapper boards, uh, local and national government.
0: So it's really a a network of all the kind of safeguarding agencies and those responsible for it across the country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and I think one of the things that we have always prided ourselves in, and I think is one of our key strengths, is that um, we are truly independent. So um, many people will make the assumption that we are in some way connected to let's say the Church of England because that is possibly what's most familiar to many people but we're not Uh, we're not affiliated to any denomination or or any particular group we are independent non-denominational and we we seek to provide a service to whoever requests it.
0: Okay could you just talk a little bit about just to clarify things because you're a charity Um, where the funding sources come from?
1: Sure well The majority of our uh, income is what we would describe as voluntary income uh, and comes from donations that are made to us by our member organisations. So at this point in time, we have um, in excess of 8,000 members. Now, they will be a range of churches, charities, other organisations, interested individuals um, who who join us to receive um, support and, and a range of member benefits. So um, they will make an annual donation and that is primarily where our voluntary income comes from. So it's probably accounting for something like 90%. The remainder of our income is generated from um, other services uh, such as our training and um, consultancy um, but clearly, because we are a charity, uh, we're not a profit-making organisation. So, um, you know, anything that's right side of the, the, the balance sheet, so to speak, is is um, is reinvested to assist us mm-hmm. with services.
0: So it's ninety percent, ten percent on specialist services, right? Okay,
1: so, yeah, something like that. Ninety percent will be our our member donations that we receive on annual basis. Eight
0: thousand subscribing member or subscribing, 8,000 affiliated members, I mean, that's that's substantial. Now, um, in terms of the United Kingdom, are you um, present, if you like, in all four countries?
1: Yes, we are. Um, I think we are, we are certainly stronger in uh, England and Wales than we are in Scotland and Northern Ireland, but we do have a presence in all four. Um, and part of our um, strategic plan currently going forward uh, is to explore ways in which we can increase the support that we provide, particularly in Scotland and Northern Ireland, and um, to look at whether there are things that we can be doing, that we should be doing, that that our members in those various countries would l- like us to do for them. But yeah, I mean, we, we've um, pretty much from the off, we've, we've had some involvement in all nations. Okay.
0: So just just before we go on to some more detailed kind of discussion about the work that you do, I mean, just to sort of complete this kind of um, the building the house picture, I mean, do you you tend to have any um, international kind of contacts and affiliations?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, The work that we are doing, as I said in the introductory uh, response, is becoming broader and broader. So one of the things that we have seen a particular increase in is requests for us to provide um, primarily training and what we call specialist services to organisations who are either um, based and operating overseas or who are um, in some way connected to a UK-based organisation but providing services to vulnerable groups overseas. So that might involve and what we would describe as mission or missionary organisations may involve um, international school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. may involve um, other um, organisations providing activities for young people primarily. So we've done work in all sorts of, of, of interesting places. So... Um, you know, thinking about uh, many of the sort of the central European countries. Uh, we've even travelled and, and, and undertaken work um, in Africa. You know, so it, it's, it's an area that is growing for us.
0: Good. Well, I, the reason I ask that as much as just interested in, in, the, in the range of activity that you do is that uh, the podcast now has been downloaded into 99 countries. And um, I'm looking for the 100th. So anybody listening, please, I'm looking for the 100th. But it means that in in more, you know, in some places, obviously more than others, but we get a spread of interest and therefore we will give all the sort of CCPAS details at the end of the the podcast and in the text uh, on the website. So anybody listening that has... um, reason to be interested in what you hear, what today and what you do and what Justin's talking about, then obviously um, they can get in touch with you. So that, that was partly the reason I asked for that as well as seeing what the structure was. Now, the work you do, Justin, I mean, I know that CCPAS is independent. I know that you are primarily there as a safeguarding body and that all the work you do is geared towards the safety um, of, of vulnerable people in the community. But you also obviously be aware that there's been a lot of bad press for the church community, if you want to put it that way, in terms of child protection, especially over the last kind of couple of decades, and more and more people are having the strength and the courage to come forward and talk about difficult experiences that they had what 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 sort of impact has that had on your service
1: it's It's had a huge impact um as many other um, organizations and agencies that, that we uh, that we work with have experienced, I think uh, there really has been a watershed um in this sort of the post postsable period if if I can refer to it as that um i mean even even prior to that clearly a, a, an increase in work um, it's sad to see um the reality that is um, that many, many churches and uh, faith based organizations will be seeking to provide safer environments for vulnerable people. But there are still those who are very much behind the curve um, on um, developing safer practices. And uh, there are still those areas where it would probably be easier for dangerous and harmful practices to occur than in other places. Um, But I think what I would I would say about this, particularly in the post-Savile era, is that um, what we have seen is a huge increase in in courage, um, in the uh, ability of victims and survivors of abuse to speak out, often for the first time, about their experiences uh, of abuse at the hands of those within the wider church community, Um, and. It is a great thing that they are finding voice, as painful as that is for them. Um, But as a response, then, what we find ourselves involved in as an organisation is um, working with statutory agencies, often with local authority designated officers in England and their equivalent in in other nations, to manage through where there have been allegations, disclosures, where there are clearly issues of um, or, or relevant conduct, through to assisting churches to, um, to to manage and cope with the fallout once that has taken place. And if, if just to take you into context of church for a moment, um, churches typically will operate in, in a sort of a pseudo family type arrangement. So relationships become um, very close. Relationships are often established over long periods of time. So you can imagine then uh, when abuse occurs within that environment, it is devastating for, uh, for all those uh, you know, in the surrounding area. The Collateral damage is, is huge. So, of course, we have to accept that we, we still understand the majority of abuse takes place within um, family, friend, known networks. But for church, that is very much in the frame there. We are talking about family. We are talking about friends. We are talking about known networks. So our work has increased significantly throughout the spectrum. Um, as a result of um, a willingness to open the lid on Mm. things that have been kept under wraps for for many years. Do
0: you you find, or you or your trainers, find that, um, as you say, you train hundreds of people every week, that um, there's an increased nervousness now about those working in the church or in the church environment or affiliated with the church, those that come on the training, that, that somehow or other, you know, the, the old tarred with the same brush kind of um, impression that people feel now far, far less trusting, which is a huge anathema, I suspect, to churches, obviously, because one of the big things that um, religious bodies, you know, not only rely on, but need is, is the trust of the community. And you feel that there, there's been a kind of a... a, a Devaluing of that within the people that you're now listening to and training.
1: Generally speaking, no, I, I wouldn't say that, that 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 is the case. I think what we are seeing, though, however, is a much greater level of awareness to the issues. Um, whereas even five, maybe ten years ago, those who were attending church or who were, um, you know, receiving Support services from church or church-based organisations. They, they might take to be well. Of course, that kind of thing could never be happening here because it's a church after all. I think now we are moving into uh, an era where there is a much more um, realistic, balanced and aware um, society uh, that that's being worked with. So um, rightly. More people are asking um, more appropriate questions about what arrangements do churches have in place? Do they have a safeguarding policy and procedure? Do they provide training for their staff? Do they recruit them more safely? So we're seeing much more of these sorts of questions. I think what I would say in terms of those that we're training, though, David, is that um, there is an increasing awareness of complexity of task. Um, and yeah, I guess that for some, it, it might all also be described as, as a, a bit of a fear factor in there, too, um, because it's not easy stuff. It's not easy work often. You know, people will, will enter the, the volunteering workforce, particularly with, with uh, you know, all sorts of motivations. And, and, and we would hope that for many of them, they are good. Um, but that's now got to be mixed with a level of seriousness about well, we need to be doing this properly. Um, society Mm. the communities that we serve would expect us to be doing it properly and therefore we've got to demonstrate that we are
0: yeah i i someone like me who if you like essentially is outside of the if you like the church community but looking in but like to takes a close interest obviously in safeguarding um the impression i get is that um newer entrants like most organisations, you know, like younger people coming in either to work in the church community or for the church community are perhaps more aware, more enlightened, whatever. But there's still a residual problem with the older members. Now, paradoxical, well, paradoxically, obviously, the more senior people within the church, up, say, at um, bishop level or uh, whatever, um, appear to have some greater difficulty in accepting change and accepting the new landscape. Is is that a fair analogy?
1: I think that's almost certainly the case in some respects, yes. Um, Change uh, doesn't come easy to many people. Um, The safeguarding landscape has changed so uh, significantly over the last 5, 10, 15 years, as we know. Um, That I think there are some who who very much struggle with it. And we see um, the full spectrum of responses, uh, as you might expect. So ranging from those who say, um, I don't want to know anything about it, it has no place um, in what we do. And through to those that are prepared to accept that they don't fully understand it, but acknowledge their need to understand it and get on board. Right through to those who, yeah, generally speaking, would be the younger generation moving into leadership roles within church and community who say, we get this. We see its importance. We know that it is part of what we have to do now. So um, let's get on with it. Let's not leave it as one of those background things that that, um, that nobody really understands. Mm. So a huge shift, actually. But there are still those, um, yeah, possibly those of, of an older generation, who may struggle and um, who may not then be able to create the environments that are as safe as we would want them to be.
0: Okay. Well, let's put you on the spot again, then. I've got the older generation talked about. Is there a gender difference within the church to think in acceptance of what is and what should be?
1: Um, I, I don't see that um, clearly. Um, so no, I, I don't think I could. Mm. I don't think I could rest on any clear examples that would suggest to me that there, there is an issue there. I mean, I think that there are still some unhelpful. Um, stereotypes may be that are held around um, gender, particularly in in the context of um, who who may be um, offending, let's say, against children and young people. There there is still um, a residual belief that that this is you know mid, middle aged to to older men, mm-hmm. um, and you know we we are slowly kind of trying to break down um that misperception that myth to say look you know we aren't in the business of, of being suspicious about people but we certainly can't be in the business of of, um, of pandering to and believing um, these um, misplaced stereotypes in actual fact you know harm can be caused to vulnerable people by all sorts of other people mm. and that um respect for uncertainty that lord Lehman talked about um, in, in the uh, process of the Victorian is what we try to um, instill, even today. Um, okay. That's how we need to operate. The belief that it could happen, and actually that that um, that there are no single okay. typologies for for offenders. So if there were to be a gender issue anywhere in all of this, that would be where it's probably most apparent.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Well, let's let's talk for a second about your impressions about um, getting the message across. Um, we we've mentioned the kind of the age um, issue, uh, the differences, and people coming in now. The younger members of the, of, if you the broadest church community. Let's just call it that. In terms of digital kind of awareness, um, because uh, you you know, as we know, you know, so many people get their information, get their opinions formed, and and their, their knowledge essentially from some form of media or other. I mean, written and broadcast media obviously are still fairly powerful, but digital media is racing up uh, and social media is racing up, you know, um, to to compete quite happily with it. And a lot of um, churches, uh, um, to my view, don't necessarily have uh, as modern a presence as they could. In the digital world, in order to be able to get their messages across, but also to show people what they're doing about safeguarding and to illustrate, you know, their commitment to whatever that happened to be within their own particular church, is that something that you would consult on as an organisation?
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, and I think you're right. There are still many churches who who don't embrace the um, the full opportunities that are provided by um, digital. Yeah, that, that would be true to say. But at the same time, what we are seeing is some really creative and innovative approaches to, to that sort of thing. So, you know, 10 years ago, um, when uh, social media was really just sort of entering the scene, we, we as an organisation may even have taken the view, well, you know, don't, don't go there just yet. We don't know enough about it. So just, just avoid it. There are clearly inherent risks. We're now in a position where we're saying, look, you know, the social media environment, particularly, is, is where a lot of people um, live and connect and communicate, um, share experience, um, particularly the younger generation. So we're now in a position where we're saying, look, it's here. It's here to stay. This is going to be the way of the future. So let's engage in that safely. So what are the the things that we can be doing to make the environment safer um, for young people particularly? But I think in terms of um, how churches generally engage in, um, you know, promoting their safeguarding arrangements, Let's say even at a basic level through their church website. Now, what we are seeing is, is an increase in um, in churches providing clear information uh, on their websites around their commitment to safeguarding. So, just as you would expect to see with a school, you know, somewhere you you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't want to have to dig too far into a website before you come up against their their safeguarding policy. So, we we would advocate the same for church you know communities who are using church-based services need to be given a level of confidence about how you are going to be doing it Safeguarding's pretty much at the top of the agenda these days um so we we still see a variety of, uh, of approaches taken but there there are some real signs of, of interesting and innovative practice out there
0: okay now without naming names because i'm not particularly interested in that at the moment but um I'm wondering if you would give us one good and one difficult kind of organizations that you've come across in terms of what's working well for some particular church organization and what's still sort of back in the kind of Neanderthal times in terms of safeguarding for others. I mean, what would you like to see change with some without naming any names and what would you like to see more universally accepted from some of the more kind of um, front runners, if you like, in terms of good practice?
1: Okay, that's a really difficult one, isn't it? Really put me on the spot there. Oh, yeah, um,
0: no name. You, know, you can name names if you like. I mean, but up to you. Uh,
1: I, th- I think probably best that I don't. Um, but but as you would expect, you know, we, we do work with a whole range. Um, the ones that, that we work with who um, we we possibly have the most difficulties, I, I think, are those who, for whatever reason, fail to. Um, lead out effectively on the clear messages around safeguarding. So maybe linked to this generational question that we were were talking about just a moment ago, those organizations or denominations or groups who who just don't fully understand the need for um, good, consistent, clear messages to be articulated from the top, if you like, and permeate an entire organization. So we, we will see a level of disconnect between what the the workers on the ground, so to speak, might be wanting to practice and the understanding of that from the higher levels of leadership. Okay. Um, when you have that kind of disconnect, um, you you will often run into difficulties around um, policy, practice, procedure, um, but, but also... Um, softer elements of culture um, you know, culture is so important as, as we all know and if the leadership fails to um, to initiate and maintain a safer culture there are there are often real difficulties faced at the front line so there are some areas where, where that is still um, a, a real problem
0: and I presume you would say the opposite the exact opposite of that for those that are in the forefront of
1: good practice is that Yeah, I guess I would. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't rocket science, is it, David? You know, I think Mm -hmm. that there are some fairly simple and clear messages that will really help us along the way. Um, So, yeah, a mirror image, probably.
0: Okay. Uh, Right. Last one or two questions. Okay. Here's your opportunity to sort of speak out on behalf of um, uh, CCPAS. What would you say to people who are uh, within the church communities, in their huge variety, if you like, up and down the um, four nations? What would you say to those that at the moment aren't um, perhaps looking at your services? Uh, what what would you say to them? Would you like? I mean, would you like to give a message to them as to why it would be beneficial for them to have a look at what you do?
1: Absolutely, I would, you know, and we are very um, clear to say we're not in the business of um, coaching uh, services that may be being adequately provided by others already. Uh, But what we do say is that we we provide what we believe to be um, a unique and comprehensive range of services. So I would especially reach out to to any church, um, any um, faith-based organization, charity, whatever, who doesn't have adequate support and arrangements? Say, please um, make contact with us. Um, explore with us how we might be able to help. We are always willing to help, and uh, we, we will do so to the best of our ability. So, um, you know, we do believe that, that there is a real need for um, for all such churches, regardless of denomination, tradition. What um, to, to have a, a good grasp of these arrangements. So please just, just pick up the phone, and give us a call and visit our website, see what we provide. Um, we're a friendly bunch, really. Um, and <laughs> You know, so we, we will, um, there are teeth there where they need to be. Um, but other than that, we're here to help.
0: Okay, final message then is for this new reshuffled government um, and especially those who've got responsibilities for safeguarding. What would you like to say to them, Justin?
1: I think there would have to be um, a very, very clear message to them. Don't forget the church community uh, in your policy making, in your um, decisions around um, workforce matters, in your understanding of what multi-agency or multi-disciplinary safeguarding practice looks like. The the church in the UK has for many years now being the single largest provider of services to children and young people outside of education uh, and increasingly for um, vulnerable adults, if we can describe them in that way. And I know that's that's not really the PC term these days, but adults who, who may be vulnerable for a range of factors. The church is working with more vulnerable groups than any other, yet there has often been, in my view, a sense that we are still regarded as the poor partner, uh, that we aren't sufficiently professional to engage in the debate, and I would want to say to um, to uh, the new government, the cabinet, for those that are responsible for areas of work that we are working in, please don't forget us. Be in touch with us as we have been um, previously. You know we have worked with Department of Health, um, Ministry of Justice, Home Office, and um, DFE. Uh, You know, we would want to continue having those conversations. But when you have a group of organisations who have such significant impact and opportunity, um, please please embrace them and have conversations with us.
0: Okay. And finally, your contact details for CCPAS um, that I mentioned before that I'll also put on the text on the the website. But would you just like to say how people can get in touch with you if they want to?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, There are obviously the the key ways. So by telephone, you can contact us on 0845 120 4550. Or if you visit the website, there's actually an alternative um, STD number um, whilst we transition to an 0300. Um, There's the website itself, which is www.ccpas.co.uk. Or if you have specific questions that you want to fire into us via email, you can do that via info at ccpas.co.uk. We're also available on a various social media networks Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Google, or user places.
0: Justin Humphreys, thanks very much indeed for your company. It's
1: my pleasure.